Well, good morning. So good to see uh, all of you uh, here and those of, of you who are watching online. Thanks for tuning in. Um, and um, I'm really looking forward to what God's going to do uh, during this service this morning. I really believe he has a word, like, like Sister Vivian already said, I really believe he has a word that, that, that is for all of us here this morning. And um, my prayer for you is that your hearts will be open to receive from him and that he would fill you with his spirit in a way like you've never, never experienced before. So let's pray. God, we come to you at this moment. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, God, that you, do, you choose to dwell among your people, Lord. And Father, we just want to open our hearts to what you want to do, to what you want to say, to your spirit, who you want to pour out in us, Lord. God, we thank you. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Holy Spirit is um, our topic, actually I should say our subject, during uh, the series we're starting this morning, um, the third person of the Trinity. And um, when you look at the Word of God, at the Bible, you know, first book of the Bible is the book of Genesis. And already on the first page of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is introduced to us. And you see in, in the first chapter of Genesis that um, God's spirit was like hovering over the waters. And, and the waters, the seas, they, they symbolized um, the chaos um, that was there before God created order in the chaos. And so God's spirit is hovering over the waters. And the Hebrew word that is used here in Genesis, the word ruach, when you say that, ruach, it's like it's it's not a corona-proof word because you're there's like too much air coming out of your mouth, right? But it's it, it it is it actually is exactly how it sounds like. It is it is God's breath. The Holy Spirit is God's breath. It's it's another word that is um, it's also translated sometimes as wind, wind breath, but also God's personal pre presence in our midst, His presence. God chooses to dwell among his people by way of his spirit. So what is really important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit is a person, not, a, not an impersonal force. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. And it's something that, um, you know, even in Christian circles, we sometimes forget who the Holy Spirit really is. You know, sometimes there's this awkwardness. We don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. So we, you know, we only mention it when we, when we talk through statements of faiths. But we don't really believe in the Holy Spirit. And then there's other groups that um, do believe in the Holy Spirit. But they're only looking at the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit becomes more something, something that you get or that is given to you rather than a person who wants to dwell with you. Well, if the Holy Spirit is a person, he wants to have a relationship with you and I. God the Father wants to have a relationship with you. God the Son wants to have a relationship with you. God the Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with you. There, there are three persons, but they're the one same God. It's not three different gods, it's one God manifested to us in three persons. 
And we want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit during the next couple of weeks. And the same God who created the reality that you see around yourself with your physical eyes, by his spirit, he wants to speak to you as well. So the God who created everything that you can see is the same God who wants to speak to you even today. And that's the title of my message, God Still Speaks. I believe in a God who still speaks today. How many of you believe that God still speaks and still wants to speak to us today? He's real. God is real. It's the Spirit also who brings us life. He wants to bring us life. Now, if God is real and if he's still actively involved with his people today, wouldn't he want to speak to us today in much similar ways as when he spoke to the people in the Old Testament times and in the New Testament times? I believe he still does. If that is a pattern, how he spoke to, uh, to, to people in, the, in Old Testament times, to Israel, to the Jews, and how he's spoken to the church in the, in the New Testament, I believe he still wants to speak to us today. I think very important for us to realize is that what God speaks to his spirit, if somebody claims to, to, to share something that the Holy Spirit or that God has revealed to him, or her, if it is opposed to what is revealed in Scripture, we, we have to reject it. Because the Holy Spirit will never contradict what, is, what the Holy Spirit wrote in the Word of God. It will always be in tune with one another. Um, and, and God still speaks today. He still wants to speak today. In fact, if you look at the book of Acts, which is like the, the history book um, of the first couple of years of the, of the early church, like the first decades of the early church. If you look at the end of chapter 28, which is the last chapter in the book of Acts, there is no natural ending to the chapter. It is like it just ends. There's no amen there. There's no like nice ending to the story and they lived happily after, ever after or something like that. There's nothing like that. It just ends. It's weird. Just go and check it out. So, so my point with that is that, you know, the Acts, Acts is not only the Acts of the Apostles, it's also the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is like, the book of Acts shows what the Holy Spirit has done through the Apostles, through the early church, but also what he can do to, through us today. So I believe we're still living in New Testament times. We're still living in the days of the book of Acts. You know, maybe not tw chapter 28, because chapter 28 was like 1950 years ago or something like that, or whatever, 1900 years ago. And now we're living maybe in Acts 29 or in Acts 39 or 139. We're still living in, in the days where God is moving by his spirit in the church and in us and through us today. And we need the Holy Spirit. That is what we're, we're going to be showing through this series. We need the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. We need the Holy Spirit in our families. We need the Holy Spirit in, in the church, in, in this spiritual family that we have right here. And the problem is that many Christians, we're, we're actually a little bit nervous about the Holy Spirit. We don't really know what to think. And maybe it's because of the word spirit in the name Holy Spirit. It's like, well, there's all sorts of spirits out there in the world. Do we need to be scared of the Holy Spirit? And of course, the old English translations called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. Makes it a little worse even there. So people are like, they don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. 
And if you, you are a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit, if you're, not, if you're a little concerned about the Holy Spirit, it's going to be very hard to open yourself up to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today. So that's why I prayed for you, that you would open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. That you would allow him to move in your life, to do a special thing in your life today. We need to live lives that are open to the Spirit. That's the title of this message series. Open to the Spirit. Well, I want to show you three things about how God still speaks today through the Holy Spirit. The first one is this one. The Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, the living word. The Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, the living word. I'm always interested in art and how art in different parts of the world depicts Jesus. What does Jesus look like in art? And is, is the picture that, that you see on a painting or something like that, is it anywhere near the picture that the Bible paints? Is it anywhere near how we think um, the Jesus who lived in Judea, current day Israel, how he would have looked like 2,000 years ago? And not just in, in terms of his facial expressions, but also in terms of his character. For one, I mean, if you look at the Jesus of paintings in, in the West here, maybe three, four hundred years ago, the type of Jesus we will be presented, that will be presented to us would be like a Scandinavian Jesus. Blue eyes, pale face, sleeky hair, right? That's like the Jesus that we so often see in in, in, in art, and it, it, to be honest, he kind of looks boring to me. He looks like, you know, and, and excuse the phrase, he kind of looks like a pet for old ladies. But that is not the Jesus that we find in Scripture. That is a totally different Jesus. This Jesus in, that, that the Bible describes is a Jesus who was like full of life. He's like, there's always something happening when you're around Jesus. It's never going to be boring when you hang out with Jesus. But it's almost like the church and, and art depict Jesus as this boring kind of person. He's not. He upset the status quo. Like the temple service and all the religious leaders that were, that were being so religious, so so-called holy. And he's like, no, no, he pushes against it. He shows them a different way. He shows them the heart of God. He shows them that being a believer, that, that following him is not a boring thing. No, it's an exciting thing. And when we walk with the Holy Spirit, when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're going to live lives that are not boring at all. We're going to live exciting lives. Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, who is the living word. You know what? What I love about Jesus you know, Jesus is, you know, he's God, right? He's God in human flesh. And, and when he is around people and when he's around us, he comforts us. But he doesn't stop there. There's something else that will happen when you're, you spend time with Jesus in prayer or when you read his word and when you kind of follow, try to understand who Jesus really is. He first comforts you and then he deeply disturbs you. 
It's like it's, there's something stirring up in your heart when you, when, you, when you read about Jesus, when you try to follow this Jesus. Because, you know, like, like I said, he upset the status quo. So you cannot live the way you've been living your life before when you have Jesus in your life. There's something that will have to change when Jesus shows up in your life. Jesus disturbs us. Sorry, I would have wanted to give you a more comforting word this, word this morning. He disturbs us. He really does. He didn't do the seeker-sensitive thing that so many churches do today, that we have done today uh, a couple of years ago as well. There's nothing wrong with being seeker-sensitive in a way, like, like being attractive for people that are far away from God. There's, some, there's something good about that. However, if, if it's only about drawing the large crowds, and making sure there's, you know, every seat is filled, which is not possible with Corona, right? If that's the only focus that you have, then real life, real life change doesn't happen. And that is really what we're about. We're about discipleship. We're about seeing lives changed. So that, because Jesus, when he came to this earth, he represented the heart of God. He imaged God. He, he showed who God really was. He is the image of the, of, of, of the living God here on earth. And he showed who God is so that we can be like him. So that we can follow Jesus in his footsteps and become images, become representatives of who God is. That is a Jesus that we serve. He changes us. Jesus never watered down the message of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God was at hand, ready to break up. He never watered down that message. But Jesus gathered the broken, the marginalized, the downtrodden around himself and turned them into an army without arms that will proclaim the kingdom of heaven here on earth to every corner of this earth. Think about that. You know, I don't believe in, in, in upper-class churches. I, I don't believe in, in churches that are like a select, selective um, club, almost, for the wealthy and the influential people. I believe that Jesus, the, the first kind of people he wants to hang out with are those that are a little rough around the edges. That are, you know, in, that, that maybe society doesn't want to look on. Because they're, they don't have power they're not important. They don't have money. Those are the people Jesus goes after first. And yes, others are welcome too, but he will first go after those. So if you're like that, you know, this is the place for you to be. You know, Jesus is the person to be with. Because he goes after you. He goes after all of us, but first after, after them. But I love it that, that he turns those people that are, you know, rough around the edges, that, that don't know sometimes how to behave, that that sometimes don't even know how to, how to act in a world like this. And he turns them into a mighty army, ready to proclaim the, the gospel of the kingdom to the uttermost parts of the world. The good news of the kingdom. An upside down kingdom that is different than the kingdom that we live in, the empire that we live in. It is God's kingdom versus Babylon. It's God, God's kingdom versus the kingdoms of this world. We serve another king. And his name is Jesus. The Spirit leads us to Jesus 
the living word. We can't spend time in the presence of the spirit. We can't spend time in the presence of Jesus without being changed. A really important moment in the history of, of celebration church globally. We have churches in, in, in Zimbabwe, about 18 of them. We have, we're starting one in, in uh, South Africa in August. We have, I don't know, about five, six churches or so in the U.S. We have two locations here in the Netherlands, um, third one starting, um, and, and Paris. And there's a lot of stuff happening with Celebration Church. But one thing that happened about three years ago was when our global senior pastor um, at a Passover communion service had an encounter with, with Jesus. He met Jesus face to face. And you're thinking, well, that's, that's over there in America. But I believe that the encounter that he had was for, for all of us. It's for the church, not just Celebration Church, but for the church as a whole in, in, in the world. In fact, what God has spoken to him, he's also spoken to me personally. And he's also spoken to many other church leaders around the globe. And it's about restoring some things that are lost. Restoring some things, some patterns about church that you can find in the book of Acts. It's about restoring some, some, of, some of the pictures that we have of who Jesus really is. And going back to the real Jesus of scripture. It was a powerful encounter. That changed everything about the church over there in, in, in Florida. But it also changed us. And it pushes us back to where the book of Acts left off. We can go back to ancient patterns. The way how God has wanted the church to function as a family. And not just as a family, as an army as well. So that we can actually go after the lost, go after the downtrodden, go after the marginalized. And make sure that they know that the good news is good news for them as well. You know what? Good news, if, if, it is, if good news is not good news for the poor, and for the sick, for the downtrodden, it is not good news at all. And that is why Jesus is so important. That's why Jesus is central to our faith. The Spirit leads us to Jesus, the living word. John 1, verse 1 of 14 says this. In the beginning was the word. In the Greek it says logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. The only begotten son from the father. There is something unique about Jesus, because this describes Jesus here. But there is a bit of a mistranslation right here. It says the only son. Now, Jesus is unique in every way. Because remember what I just said earlier. He is the son of God. He is God himself. But watch this. Doesn't the Bible also say that those who have actually surrendered their lives to Jesus are also called sons and daughters of God? Right? How many of you are sons and daughters of God right here? So if Jesus is the only begotten son, if he's the only, um, only son from the father, there's something missing here. Actually, theologians and, and Bible scholars have, have looked at this term that is translated as only for several decades. 
The Greek word is monogenes, which means one of a kind, unique. Jesus is different than we are. He is of a whole different class than we are, right? And we're all equal as sons and daughters, all of equal value. But Jesus is at another level. But we're just like him. We're sons and daughters as well of the most high God. But he's, there's something special about Jesus because he is the son of God. He is, you know, he was born from above. You know, he was miraculously born to, to Mary. He's one of a kind. But we're also sons and daughters. He's, the Bible describes him as our big brother. Jesus is our older brother. But we are sons and daughters as well when Jesus is our Lord. He, so he's one of a kind. And that is the, actually the right translation of the word monogenes. So Jesus is the word. And some commentators have actually looked at this chapter in the book of John. And they said, well, this is actually, um, the author here, John, is actually engaging with Greek um, literature, Greek philosophy. Because they use the word logos as well. This is very well rooted in, in Greek philosophy. But actually, it's probably not true. Actually, this is the word logos. The, the whole idea of the word is actually firmly rooted in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. It goes way back to the book of Genesis as well. I love how pretty much everything goes back to the book of Genesis. But Genesis describes that there is this, that the word of God appeared to Abraham. The word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord appears to, to Abraham. And he gives him all sorts of promises. And, 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 you know, the first times I read this, I've been a Christian for 26 years now. And the first times I read this, when I say, hey, the word of the, of the Lord appeared to um, Abraham, I thought, hey, this must have been an audible voice or something like that. And which makes a lot of sense. But then when you look at the text, when you look at the story, you actually see that the word of the Lord actually took Abraham by the hand and took him outside so that Abraham could see the stars of heaven. Now, how can a spoken word take you by the hand? I've never seen that happen. Right? It must be a person. Now, here's the point. Everywhere through the Old Testament, and in Genesis, you see this happen over and over again. You see it happen in you know, other books of Moses. You see it in the book of Joshua and in Judges and many other places. You see Jesus, before he was actually appeared as a, as a human of, uh, uh, like with flesh and blood, which you can see in the New Testament. He was already walking around this earth to manifest the Lord in the world. I actually preached about this a couple of months ago, so I won't do my sermon again because I have another point I want to make this morning. But the Spirit leads us to Jesus, the living Word. And we won't remain unchanged in His presence. Allow the Holy Spirit to take you to Him so you get a full manifestation of who, who He really is. You know, and I can, I can encourage you, like when you read the, the Bible, when you read one of the Gospels, uh, you know, when it speaks about Jesus, just allow your mind sometimes to just go into the wandering phase. Like, hey, what would, have been, what, what would it have been like to walk through the streets of Jerusalem or of 
you know, Nazareth or any of those other places where Jesus was, what would it have been like? And allow the Holy Spirit to take you to him. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to show you who Jesus really is and how powerful and how loving and how amazing he really is. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to him. Because he wants to reveal Jesus to you. It's not just a person that you can find in the books, in the book. But it's a, it's a person who wants to encounter you by way of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit take you to Jesus, the living word. My second point is this. The Spirit illuminates the Bible, the written word. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 say this. All scripture is God-breathed. Everybody say God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. Remember that word, ruach? Right? Here you see that, the, that it's the Holy Spirit breathing into the scriptures you know, breathing basically into the life of the, the people that wrote the scriptures so that they would actually write down God's thoughts and God's heart on paper. And the scriptures that Paul refers to here when he's writing to Timothy, his, one of his disciples, is actually, he's speaking about mainly about the Old Testament, about the Hebrew Bible, the first part of the Bible. Because it didn't have the New Testament yet at that moment. So basically Paul's saying to him, hey, the Old Testament is so important. The Hebrew Bible is so important because it actually contains the very thought, the very breath of God. It contains, you know, what God wants to say to us in our day today, just as it did 2,000 years ago or even before that. All scripture is God-breathed. God breathes, breathed, is that correct English? He Breathed life into it years ago, 2000 or even more years ago. And when we want to understand the heart of the scriptures, we need to make sure we're led by the same spirit. We need to make sure that we're filled with the same spirit so we can actually understand the heart of God. And I know many of you are, are struggling to read the word of God because it's like, well, I don't know where to begin. I don't understand this. This is weird. This seems to be contradictory. What to do with this? Well, let me tell you this. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Allow, to, allow yourself to read the Bible with the Spirit. You need the Spirit to be able to fully understand what the Bible says. And let me, let me make this clear. It is very important that you, you know, that you have people around you, that you have books that you can read of trustworthy authors that could actually help you understand the world of the Bible. But if you're not led by the Spirit when you read the Word, it is all going to be useless. We need to be led by the Spirit. Here's a couple of things how you, can, um, how you can actually read the Bible by the power of the Holy Spirit. A few guidelines. First of all, you read it with others. You read the Bible with others. That is why Bible study is so important. Read it with others. Read it while being intentionally reverent. In other words, tune out all distractions. Maybe start reading a paper Bible rather than a phone, than from a phone. Why am I saying this? Because I know, because 
I have the Bible on my phone. I know that there will be this WhatsApp message that comes in or this Facebook comment or something like that. And you're totally distracted again. How can you let the, Bible, how can you let the Lord speak to you through the Bible if you're constantly distracted by the, by the voices of the people around you? You can't. That's why a paper Bible is better because a paper Bible wouldn't allow any apps to come through. Right? Prayerfully. Read the Bible prayerfully. You know, ask the Lord. Lord, just reveal what you want to say to me today. Reveal what the, the heart is, what your heart is in this passage of the Bible that I'm reading right now. Listen. Try to listen to what God's, God's saying to you as you read. Ponder what you're reading. And then to, to close this off, to, to respond and demonstrate that what you're reading and listening to, you're actually doing it. Demonstrate it. I love James 1.22. It says this. Do not merely listen to the world, word and, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's like it is pointless to read the Bible if we're, if we're unwilling to do what it says. It is pointless. And this is all rooted in a Hebrew concept of, of Shema, which is actually the word uh, that, is, that is being used, um, the, the Hebrew word that is being translated as here in, in, the, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when, you know, hear, O Israel, the, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, is, is the Hebrew word Shema. And the word Shema, it's not just hearing, it's also obeying. In the Hebrew mindset, it is two sides of the same coin, hearing and obeying. If you're not obeying, you're not really hearing, right? And if, you, if, you're, not, if, you're, not, if you're not hearing, um, you, you can't obey either. So you need to have those two ideas linked together. Somehow in the Western mindset, this, these two things got disconnected. You can hear without obeying. No, it's not possible. You hear, so you obey. Are you open to the Spirit who illuminates the Bible, who illuminates the Word of God to you? A third point, last point. The Spirit unleashes the prophetic word. The Spirit unleashes the prophetic word. Now, here's, a, here's, here's an important thing to, to look at. In the Old Testament, you had two groups of leaders that were extremely important for the benefit of the, of the people, of the people of Israel. On one hand, you had the priests. And what did the priests do? The priests represented God to the people, and they represented the people to God. That's the role of the priests. You had the prophets. They were like voices of the Lord. And they would go around Israel and they would say, thus says the Lord. And they would uh, challenge uh, kings and, and other people in leadership who were um, like doing their own thing, who were, um, you know, oppressing the poor and whatever. They had these prophetic messages for the nation to get back into God's ways. Priests and prophets. If you look at the picture that the Bible paints of the ecclesia, of the church, of followers of Jesus, those two roles are actually combined in each of us. First of all, 1 Peter chapter 2 speaks about the fact that we as people, as God's people, are a kingdom of priests. We're royal priests. 
We have a status of royalty. We're, we're, we're basically kings and queens, <laughs> right? Princes and princesses, if you prefer that. <laughs> so we are a kingdom of priests. We are some, there's something royal about us, but there's something priestly about us as well. We, we represent God to, to the world around us. And we represent the world around us to God. We, we stand in the gap for people around us. Maybe your neighbors that are going through a divorce. Maybe a friend who has cancer and, and doesn't have God in their life. You become a priest by starting to pray for them. You represent them to the Lord. We're called to be priests, but we're also called to be prophets. I love, I love the book of Joel. You know, chapter two speaks about a day, and this is, you know, we're already living after the fact, but Joel was living in a day when this wasn't been, when this hadn't been fulfilled yet. It was a time where um, he looked forward to the new covenant where the spirit would be poured out upon the people of God so that the sons and daughters would prophesy and that the old men and they would dream visions. Everybody would have an experience, a first-hand experience with the Holy Spirit, a first-hand experience with the, the spirit of prophecy, God's spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, I keep repeating Acts because Acts is super important. Acts chapter 2 shows how after the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon the early church, they go out into the city of Jerusalem. There's pilgrims there from all over the world, Jewish people. And those disciples who hadn't learned any language, I think I preached about this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm going to keep it short. They go out into the street and they start proclaiming the great things that God had done through Jesus. They prophesy to the people. They, they show God's ways to the people there. And I believe the very same thing is true for you and, and me today. We are called to be priests. We are called to be prophets. But we need the Holy Spirit to unleash the prophetic word in our lives into the world. We cannot prophesy out of our own flesh. We cannot prophesy out of our own mind. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us and we pass it on to the people around us. You know, in the Old Testament days, um, you had the office of a prophet was a very important office. You had like what I explained before, like they would speak up to kings and nations and whatever. And if they were not sharing the word of God, if they, if they had any predictions that they, wanted, they, they wouldn't happen, there was only one, one thing you could do with the, with the prophet that was to stone him. They would get stoned. And we don't mean that in a recreational sense here, in case you were thinking that. So in the New Testament, thank God it is different. <laughs> thank God we don't have a heap of stone somewhere over there. If somebody starts prophesying here and they, it turns out to not be good, we're not going to stone you. Don't worry. But it works differently in the New Testament day. It's the same sp prophetic spirit is, is with us. The Holy Spirit is still with us so that we could share the word of God for our day and age. But there's a different process going on because all of us, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of us can have the spirit of prophecy in us. So all of us can test whether this other, what this other person is saying is true. It's actually the word of God that he has for us at this moment, this time, right here, right now. I love what, what is the scripture again? I love what First Thessalonians says about the prophetic. 
chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Do not quench the spirit. So apparently if Paul says this here to the Thessalonians, you can actually quench the spirit. So let's not quench the spirit. Let's make sure that we, we don't become so close because we're so afraid of the spirit that we quench him, that we, he won't speak anymore to us. Don't quench him. Do not despise prophecies. Wow. That is something. Because, again, you know, when Jesus shows up, when his spirit shows up in a place, you can feel uncomfortable sometimes. It kind of feels uneasy when the Lord shows up sometimes. Still remember last year we had this, you know, part of our Awaken Revival conference back then. We, I mean, there was this one service. The, the presence of the Lord was so powerfully present here. The speaker... He was walking through the aisles and stuff. I won't repeat that here because of COVID. I would love to do it right now, but I'm not. Maybe next week. I don't know. But it was like the presence of God was so tangibly present in this place. And he was speaking to many of us individually, but it was, it was difficult. It was, it was like heart-wrenching. It's like it didn't really put you at ease. Until you put some things right, then it puts you at ease. But that's what, what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up sometimes. It's not only comfort, it's also like, it's the Spirit of Jesus. So He will make you feel uncomfortable from time to time. But we, when that happens, when the Spirit shows up, when the prophetic, the real prophetic shows up, we cannot despise those prophets. We cannot just put them to the side. Well, I'm just going to do my thing. No, the Lord wants to speak in very real ways in our day and age. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, for, hold fast for what is good. That is the important thing that is being said here. Because we are, we can all hear the voice of God as, as followers of Jesus. It is important that we test one another, what we say. And we do this lovingly. When somebody says something and it's kind of like a pro prophecy and it's, it's like totally off, it's like bad burritos or whatever. And and you're thinking, well, I got to say something about this. Well, please do, but do it in a spirit of gentleness and respect for the other person. But let us be, let us not despise prophecies. Let us not, let us test them, but let us not despise prophecies and let's not quench the spirit. We need to be open to the spirit who unleashes the prophetic word in our midst. I believe that that's the very thing that God wants to do today. Maybe we could all stand to our feet right now. I got a question for you. For all of us. Even for those who may not have surrendered their lives to Jesus yet, who don't have him as king over their lives yet. Here's my question. Are you willing to open the door of your life to the Holy Spirit, to the Spirit of Almighty God. Even just a tiny bit. Let me, let me tell you this. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to force the door open. He's a gentleman. But we do need to 
open it up just a little bit. Allow the spirit of Jesus to come into your life. Allow the spirit of prophecy to come into your life. Allow the spirit who will illuminate the scriptures to you to come into your life. Yes, he will comfort you. But he'll also put you to a place where you're no longer at ease where you are today so that you can become that imager, that representative of God in the world around you. So that righteousness and peace and love and joy and all these things that the Holy Spirit wants to give to you, he will give through you to the people around you. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. God, we come to you right now. We come to you open. We come to you broken. We come to you as, as a people, Lord, that is in need of a touch from you, Lord. God, some of us ne never made the decision to crown Jesus as the king of their lives or of their families. And God, I just pray for those people who are in this place or who are watching right now that that in their hearts they would make the decision and crown you as their king. But God, I also want to pray for those who have been believers for a longer time. I pray that they would also open their hearts for a first touch from you or maybe a second or a 50th touch from you, Lord. God, we need your spirit to sh keep showing up in our lives because we run empty. God, we have like batteries and they, they run dry and we need, we need new power, Lord. We need to be hooked up to the power source of the Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you that your spirit is your tangible presence, your personal presence with us. And God, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that we would have an encounter with you this morning, morning Lord Jesus. Maybe all of us, you know, I know this may be awkward for some of you guys, but maybe we could just all start calling out to the Lord right now. We could just all ask, start asking him, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, do something new in my life right now. Lord, I open the door of my life to you. Maybe we could just start raising our voices in this place. Just, just praying. You know, that is what, what, the, what the Christians did in the first, you know, decades of the church in the book of Acts. You know, they wrote, they they raised their voices to the Lord. Let's raise our voices to the Lord. God, we thank you, God. We thank you for your presence in this place. God, fill me. Maybe those words, just start saying it out loud yourself. Fill me with your spirit, God. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. We need you, Lord. God, speak to my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus. I believe that the Lord wants to heal some people in this place right now. I, I, I know there are some people with physical ailments and the Lord wants to, wants to touch you right now. So maybe just put your hand on the place where, you know, where you're, you know, where you're not well. And let's pray for healing right now. God, we just pray, Lord, that you touch those body parts, Lord, that are not whole at this moment, that you would heal them, that you would restore them. God, your touch, your touch, your touch right now. Backs that are hurting, feet that are hurting, inner organs that are 
not well. Lord, you want to provide wholeness in this place, God. You want to provide wholeness in this place. Jesus. Maybe there's some people that are suffering from, you know, like marriages that have gone bad or that have been broken. I believe God wants to restore you and heal you as well. God, we just pray, Lord, that those who have emotional pain that are suffering right now, that you will touch them right now. That your hand of healing will rest upon them right now, Lord. Your touch, Lord, your touch. God, everything that holds us back from fully experiencing the joy that you have for us, Lord. God, take it away. Take it away, God. God, may joy fill this place, God, because you're a God who heals. You're a God who restores. You're a God who makes us whole, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Reveal yourself to us right now. Holy Spirit, touch us, Lord, in Jesus' name.